live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good evening and welcome to the Bose News Show and I'm your host Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon where it is currently raining here in the northwest and we're sitting under a flood watch for the next couple days. Had a, had a pretty rainy weekend and it looks like it's going to be pretty rainy for the next couple of days and uh, starting to see some of the effects around the county here. In fact, I uh, drove over to Florence today for the uh, Three Rivers Foundation Awards Luncheon. I sit on the uh, as a trustee of the Three Rivers Foundation Board, which is the charitable arm of the Three Rivers Casino, and uh, had to stop and wait for my turn to go as they had one-way traffic under the railroad bridge there at Cushman because um, it had been high tide pretty recently. Uh, so the water was up on Highway 126 there at the Cushman Railroad Bridge at high tide. So check your tide tables over the next couple of days if you're going to drive over to Florence here from the from the Willamette Valley. Uh, and also just, you know, talking with some of our roads people, we've got some uh, active slides around the county. So keep an eye out as you come around some of those curves and stuff like that. You never know when uh, that rounding that curve you just might see some mud and some rocks and trees in a road uh, and need to come to a pretty quick stop so watch your speed and uh, be careful out there here in the pacific northwest over the next couple of days been a pretty darn wet winter so much for our drought so today the bose nose show is a free-for-all so we really encourage people to call in because the idea of having these shows where i don't have a guest is to give you the folks out here in lane county in oregon or wherever you might be listening a chance to call in and control the topic of conversation and if you have a question about county government or just government in general or if you just want to chat about national politics or even if you uh want to just uh you know talk about maybe standard poodles or the ducks that i raise or whatever you want to talk about i'm willing and able to talk about it you can call us at 646-721-9887 again that's 646-721-9887 and just press one if you want to get in on the conversation that lets robin my call screener know you want to talk and you can also reach us by email even uh when we're not on the show, we'll get your emails at talk at krbnradio.net, and uh, that gets you through to us. And you can also find us on Facebook at uh, KRBN um, Blog Talk Radio. If you just uh, just put in KRBN and Facebook, and you'll probably find us. And and if you can like our page, so we know you're listening, because you know it's kind of hard with internet radio to to know quite uh, who's out there listening. I try and do these shows because I really want to make myself available to folks. And I think um, you can also listen to them after the fact, days later if you want, or even months later, if you have a show or something you're interested in. Uh, And I kind of feel like 
sometimes when I have these uh, meet and greets where I, you know, come to a, a library meeting room out somewhere in the county, not everyone's always able to get to those at that time. So once a week, I come here on the internet at four o'clock on Wednesdays where you can call in live or you can listen after the fact and uh, talk to your Lane County Commissioner uh, or an elect, you know, as an elected official, I can talk to you about other parts of uh, government here in Oregon and the United States. And um, we can have a conversation again. And the number to get in on that conversation is 646-721-9887. And I wanted to reflect a little bit back on last week's show. I had Sheriff Byron Trapp as my guest. And uh, we talked quite a bit about the fact that uh, the Lane County Board of Commissioners voted last week to place the renewal of our jail levy back on the May ballot. Um, so that we can actually have another five years of funding for jail. And it's a pretty important issue uh, for Lane County because Lane County, you know, used to get most of its funding for our roads and for our public safety through timber sales on federal land within Lane County. Now, Lane County, uh, if you're listening from somewhere outside of Oregon or the West, uh, might surprise some people that over 50% of Lane County, I think it's about 55%, is federally owned land. Uh, and almost all of that's forced. And uh, the U.S. Forest Service land timber harvest would go into our road fund and help fund our road system uh, as kind of access to the forest. And then uh, the what used to be the Oregon and California Railroad timberlands that were taken over by the federal government from the counties back in the 20s and ultimately in the 30s, uh, there was an act of Congress that gave money from those timber sales directly to the counties. That funds our general fund, which is 70% spent on public safety. Well, with the spotted owl, timber harvest has gone to almost nothing in federal lands in, in Oregon here. And uh, the listing of the spotted owl, salmon issues, the marbled murrelet listing, uh, very little timber harvest on federal lands here in Oregon. And as a result of that, Congress decided to give us um, replacement payments, which was kind of like uh, a handout rather than um, a hand up. Uh, instead of doing the harvest, they chose to give us money. But they decided to phase out those payments um, over five years, uh, beginning back in 2008. So by 2013, they were done. And that's uh, we got a couple one-year extensions, but it was at 5% less than the year before. And the last year of the phase-out was only 40% of the original uh, replacement payments. And the original replacement payments were actually less than what we were getting under harvest um, before the spotted owl came in, into play. So we have seen since um, 2001 a 93% decrease in federal forest payments. So you can imagine what that's done to our ability to provide um, road maintenance and, and road construction projects. And then also, as far as seeing we spent 70% of our general fund on public safety, what it's done to our public safety budget here in Lane County. So one of the things after suffering, you know, spending down reserves and suffering a lot of um, hardship here in Lane County, 
is we chose to uh, place a item on the ballot to specifically fund jail beds and our youth services um, uh, detention and treatment beds. And it was a very specific levy for a specific purpose uh, and contained a whole lot of safeguards in it. And, and we did that after we'd already done a bunch of cost cutting. So it wasn't like we came to the voters right away. Um, you know, we, we had to go through that whole taper down. And during that taper down, we did everything from change Lane County government from 14 departments down to nine departments and eliminate five department heads and multiple uh, mid-level managers. Uh, we renegotiated contracts with our unions to get our uh, health insurance programs changed that save millions a year. Uh, we've just done all sorts of things in the background in Lane County to save money. And we finally went to the voters because it got to the point where we had so few jail beds that we were having to release people um, that were dangerous to our society from our jail, uh, either prior to them going to trial or even at, even when they were serving uh, jail terms. Because, you know, under federal mandates, uh, you can't hold more people than you have staff to supervise. In fact, we actually have to only hold 93% of capacity uh, as a settlement to a federal lawsuit. Um, so if we have staff for 100 beds, we can only have 93 inmates at any one time. So uh, what happened after we lost all this funding is we got down to about about 130 local beds that were available. We had some other beds that we were leasing to the federal government um, for some of their um, local folks they were holding for federal trial, and we were leasing some to the you know to some of the local cities for them to hold some of their offenders. But there was only about 130 for Lane County um, local jail beds for us to hold people. And during that period where we had so few beds, we actually released three people that were pending trial for murder. You know, because at the day they were released, they were one of the least dangerous people in our jail. So run that through your head for a minute, just to, to think about that. A murderer was our least dangerous person in our jail to society as our, as our risk rankings, because we do a, a set of um, very well-tested risk assessments on our, on our inmates to see you know, who's the least risky if we have to release people for capacity reasons. And granted, two of those folks were actually in there for um, vehicular homicide on DUII um, uh, cases. So it wasn't like they came out and killed somebody, but one of them was in there because this guy had gone camping with his buddy. They'd gotten really drunk at the campsite, gotten in an argument, and he beat his buddy to death with a piece of firewood. And that was our least dangerous person that day to release back onto the streets of Lane County. So you can imagine just how problematic our public and, and in what crisis our public safety system was at that time that we put the jail levy on the ballot back in 2013. And we set it up at 55 cents for $1,000 of taxable assessed value to fund 255 local jail beds and that was the promise was we were during the five years of the levy we were going to open up and maintain 255 local jail beds 
because we felt that was the level where we could at least keep all the violent offenders that were pending trial in in jail. You know, if, if you're in there for a crime against a person, you know, and there's a there is a a um, statutory definition of violent offender um, that we would be able to hold all those people at least till trial and not early release what we consider violent offenders. And uh, since we got the jail levy passed, we've been able to keep those folks in there. We haven't released any statutorily defined violent offenders since we were able to reopen those beds. And in fact, we were able to go beyond the promise of the levy just because we kind of set it up based on some worst case scenarios like the federal government stopped renting beds from us because we actually make money from them. Um, and a few other things where, you know, there weren't other grants that might support jail jail operations, you know, failed to come through. And we're, we're actually able to keep 317 local beds now open um, and that's really made a huge difference uh, in how many people we release from the jail purely for capacity reasons. There's other reasons people get released from jail, like they can post bail and, and, and uh, or the, the district attorney could choose not to charge charge somebody um, because of what didn't meet their high priority, you know, their highest priorities. But for capacity only reasons, we reduce those those releases by 60% since the jail levy passed. So the board has chosen to put that back on the ballot here in May in Lane County, and we're asking for the exact same authorization of 55 cents per thousand dollars of assessed value with the exact same promise that we'll maintain a minimum of 255 beds We'll maintain those additional beds in our youth services system, which has also been a real plus because um, those beds kind of either serve as treatment beds or, you know, youth beds aren't quite like the jail where we're holding people pending trial. Quite often they're utilized as sanction beds when they have kids out there in some kind of um, agreement with the courts, uh, kind of a the, the child version of uh, probation and uh, those sanction beds quite often are real effective. But there was a we got down to where we only had eight beds in Lane County for all the youth in Lane County that were in the in the uh, criminal justice system. It's not enough sanction beds to be meaningful because some of them are being utilized actually for very violent juveniles that are being held and were determined too dangerous to release pre-trial. Um, so you, if you don't have enough sanction beds, then all of that. Um, you know, probationary agreements with the courts to try and turn a kid around don't work very well. So getting those beds back has done wonders for trying to turn kids around and keep them from being adult criminals because studies have shown it's far easier to correct the problems with a child that has criminogenic or addictive behavior than it is to try and fix it once somebody becomes an adult. And they've been practicing those behaviors since they were a teenager. So, um, it's been a really effective measure, and the county government um, is asking folks uh, a year ahead of time to pass it because there's also an issue of uh, we we it took us a while to get back to the 255 beds because it was very difficult to hire enough deputies quickly enough to open the beds. In fact, a lot of the beds got open based on running deputies on overtime schedules that work in the in the jail, and um, with only one year left in the levy after this year, 
it gets difficult for us to actually recruit and retain those deputies, you know, additional deputies, because there's always turnover, and retain the deputies we might have hired four or five years ago, um, because they're looking at, oh, after a year, I may not have a job. So we're hoping to, to get it passed a year early here in May, because it actually was a five-year levy and would, would actually finish up in 2018, but we're, past, we're looking to pass it in May of 2017, so that we can look at a deputy or somebody that we're trying to recruit and say, there's at least six years of employment here. And uh, that way we can, you know, because the law enforcement field is, you know, I, you know, if you want to, you got a teenager that's kind of trying to decide um, on a career and they want to always be employed, go into law enforcement because it is a very competitive uh, field for employment. The retirement benefits are unbelievable because um, they're set up based, you know, it's a hard job. There's a reason why they got good retirement benefits because most of them can't work a 30 to 40 year career that most people work. They, you know, 25 is is about the limits of burnout with the, the stress levels and the schedules those guys work. So, but um, I tell you, it's a very competitive field to hire in and not having the ability to tell folks that you're recruiting that they'll have a job for more than a year. Um, makes it very difficult to recruit uh, against all the other agencies that are out there desiring law enforcement uh, people out there. Yeah, and some of my conversations with the sheriff, um, not this last show, but on a previous time I've had him as a guest, he talked about how when they do advertise for people, um, you know, they may get, you know, 500 applications in of which they'll deem 50 suitable to actually come in and do the physical test. And out of that, you know, maybe 10 of those folks can pass the physical test. They'll get down to maybe one that can, they can actually hire and um, put into the, uh, the training program. And then only um, half of those might make it through the training program. So you might get one out of a thousand applicants. Um, so you have to really, um, do a lot of recruiting just to get one hire ultimately. And, and it's really, a, you know, a tough field, um, but it's, it's a wide open field. If you, if you, if you have, you know, a clean record and you you're physically fit and you're not, um, if you can pass a, a P test, um, it's a great field to get into. Uh, so that was an interesting conversation last week with the sheriff, uh, about the jail levy. And if you want to talk about the jail levy or anything else you want to talk about, because this is a free for all program where you can control the topic, you can give me a call at 646-721-9887. And just press one if you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show and talk to your host, me, Jay Bozovich, your Lane County Commissioner here in West Lane County. Or you can just send me an email at talk at krbnradio.net. So, you know, in, towards the end of the show last week, um, the sheriff and I got into a conversation about something that has dominated the national news. And in fact, um, you know, it was dominating the news this morning with the Ninth Circuit Court, uh, better known as the Ninth Circus Court, because it's the most overturned 
district in the whole United States by the Supreme Court. Um, and more, more rulings by the Ninth Circuit percentage-wise have been overturned than any other district in the whole U.S. If you wonder why people refer to it as the Ninth Circus. Um, and having their hearing on the uh, executive orders on uh, travel bans uh, from seven uh, particularly con particular countries that are currently um, having a lot of violence and, and uh, disruptions inside the countries, which makes it really difficult to get records and, and vet somebody coming into this country from, the, from those particular countries. Um, we, the sheriff and I briefly talked about the issue of uh, sanctuary status and 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 his role with uh, in enforcing immigration law, and it was a pretty interesting conversation. Um, Oregon has a state statute called ORS 181A820, and it basically bars any entity, state or local. Entity and, and, and it basically says any subdivision of the state and counties and cities are considered subdivisions of the state um, from spending public dollars or resources or personnel to locate or arrest a person whose only violation of law is that they are in this country in violation of federal immigration law. And this is a state statute that's been in place since 1987. That goes all the way back to Ronald Reagan times. Um, and uh, it's been, you know, in place and basically makes the entire state a sanctuary state um, in that there's, there's no help. But one of the things that, that Byron explained to me is sheriffs can't enforce federal law anyway, They're, or, or sheriff's deputies. They are not, um, you know, they're not like, you know, they're not a federal law enforcement officer, just like somebody from the immigration and customs enforcement side can't enforce state or county law because they're not a sworn state or county law enforcement officer. So the, some of the concerns that have come up about, you know, the sheriff's office going around and, and helping round up illegal aliens or something like that are just kind of um, a false premise in the fact that they have no right to enforce federal law as it is. Uh, it, 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 they're, they're charged with enforcing county and state law, um, and that's what they're sworn, sworn to do. Um, and that basically, the only time they really get involved with um, immigration enforcement is if they arrest somebody that is determined to be of foreign, uh, you know, be a foreign citizen, um, they will, um, you know, report that to the immigration service. Um, and then the immigration service can choose, you know, to, to step in at that point, but they won't actually hold somebody in the jail purely if the immigration folks say, um, that we, we want you to hold that person. Um, they actually, they, they will only hold somebody at the jail if the immigration service comes with a warrant. Um, a federal warrant to hold them. So it's, it's, uh, and, and when they do release somebody that might have, uh, an immigration issue, um, 
they basically just tell ICE, you know, we're planning on releasing this guy at such and such a time. Uh, and ICE basically has to be kind of waiting at the door to pick that person up. There is no, quote, warm handoff between the two agencies. Um, and if ICE isn't there when they let that guy go, there's nothing the sheriff really can do about it because of this state statute, ORS 181A.820, um, which prevents them from having anything to do with the enforcement of federal immigration law. So it's kind of a an interesting thing. At the same time, the sheriff did say that um, he will always cooperate with um, fellow law enforcement agencies because it's just, you know, helpful. You know, whether it's the Eugene Police Department that he's cooperating with, Oregon State Police, or if it's Immigration and Customs Enforcement folks, um, he has, you know, has a long-standing policy of cooperating with all agencies. Of course, he has to abide by this ORS 181A 820, which basically, you know, limits his ability to cooperate with ICE. But um, it, it's kind of an interesting issue, and, and it's kind of interesting on the county's aspect because um, for us, there's been some request. Uh, we've had some public testimony for us to look at sanctuary status uh, for the county, and really um one we're, we're already by default a sanctuary county because we are a subdivision of the state and subject to this ors 181a820 and secondly the sheriff is an independently elected uh public official and we can't tell the sheriff how to run his department the only control we have over law enforcement in our um, jurisdiction is we control his budget and we control the district attorney's budget. Again, the district attorney is also a independently elected um, public official, so we can't tell her in this case how to run her office. So, um, you know, how effective Lane County Board of Commissioners taking any action when we're already under ORS 181A820 and we have two independently elected uh, law enforcement officials in this county uh, that we can't tell how to run their departments is kind of a, a interesting thing. But regardless, we did refer the, the request to um, a committee which we had been working on forming over the last uh, year or so, which is our Equity and Access Advisory Board, which advises our county administrator uh, to take a look at and report back to us, but I kind of have a feeling that looking at state law, looking at the status of our independently elected law enforcement officials, um, I can't imagine that that board will come back with um, very much beyond what we did way back in November when the county approved um, a unity statement that we put out with 10 of our, our cities basically saying that we wouldn't tolerate um, discrimination and acts of um, violence in, in this community against, um, you know, based on, 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 you know, race, sexual orientation, and a bunch of other things. So I, I can't imagine that, you know, what we've already done, uh, you know, past that unity statement. Um, we're already under ORS 181820. Um, we have independently elected law enforcement officers. 
I can't see where we're going to go too much beyond that, but I'll wait to hear back from this committee. The committee is comprised of uh, a broad spectrum of community members, so it'll give us a, a good input uh, from more than just the, act, the activists that are acting, asking for this. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that at that point we'll also be hearing from legal counsel um, about our, our abilities to do anything more, and, and uh, we'll just see. But uh, kind of hoping that maybe we can all just calm down a little bit. And um, there's a lot of emotions about this subject uh, right now. And I think if we could, you know, all take a deep breath, maybe wait a couple of weeks and start talking about this in a non-emotional way, um, we kind of see that we already have some pretty strong protections set up here in this state. Um, ICE isn't going door to door in, in Lane County anywhere that I know of or I'd have heard about it. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing's really changed since last November 8th in, in Lane County. Um, so that's a you know, topic you can call in about. Again, um, this is the Bose Nose Show, and it's a free-for-all day, so you control the conversation. And you can just give me a call at 646-721-9887 to get in on the conversation. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener, know you want to get in on the conversation. And, uh, you know, got a couple, you know, threw out a red meat topic there for you. If you have something you want to say about the, uh, the immigration executive orders and sanctuary status and Lane County and, and the sheriff, and his duties and and how we all operate uh willing to hear about that um so just you know give me a call 646-721-9887 and we'll talk about it um and we can just move on to other subjects uh you know because if you you leave me open and you don't call in and, and steer the conversation i'm liable to start talking about my stand my four standard poodles or my 10 ducks or my uh, cat that I got from Green Hill Humane Society. And uh, this this program will kind of go off the rails and we'll start talking about pets and livestock and, and who knows what else. <laughs> so please give me a call. Keep me from going off the rails, uh, which Robin does at times. Uh, but. <laughs> But you know, there's there's been some other things in the news around here. You know, the weather's been kind of in the news quite a bit. Uh, it was, had a little landslide over the weekend that wiped out somebody's trailer, and it kind of brings up a whole other topic. Which um, there was an editorial in today's Register Guard about how wonderful this Envision Eugene process has been, and we're finally going to get to an urban growth boundary for the city of Eugene. Um, you know. The landslide down there at the Sayuslaw, uh Resort Marina, I think is what it's called, or RV Resort R Marina, it's kind of a sad story because there was a single mother and her child living in this, this basically small um, trailer, tow-behind size trailer, not, not, a, not a single wide motorhome, so even smaller than that, because there is so little affordable housing in this county, in this state, that that is becoming now how people are able to live is to you know park a trailer in an RV park having to pay two three hundred dollars a month for their space rental and a payment on the RV um, and that's cheaper than an apartment 
in Lane County in a lot of places or or a small you know duplex or anything like that um, and this you know poor single mom basically got trapped inside her place by a landslide but you look at you know the register guard was kind of you know gave a glowing review of the process and how it hasn't been that controversial I think they're forgetting an awful lot to say it hasn't been controversial and the fact that the process may completely explode here in the next month or two as it gets closer to uh, planning commission hearings and, and city of uh, Eugene Council and Lane County Board of Commissioners hearings because the new UGB plan is got no new residential lands inside expansion as part of the plan. It's basing all of its growth on the fact that they're going to be able to develop property that either hasn't been developed to date that's inside the UGB that, you know, there's usually a really good reason why some developer hasn't developed it and that it's way too steep or there's a wetland or something else involved. And um, that they're going to be able to do a lot of infill and higher densities. And, and if anyone remembers last year when they did City of Eugene tried to push through what was called the uh, South Willamette Special Area Zone, um, or I think it got abbreviated as SWAZI or something like that. Uh, it was a plan, the area around 29th and Willamette Street to add higher density, uh, taller buildings and all that, and it completely flopped with the neighborhoods. It was massively controversial. And that sort of densification is what Envision Eugene is based on. And if they couldn't make that work, then Envision Eugene does not work. And they're heading us down a road of extremely unaffordable housing here in Lane County, uh, the city of Eugene is. And then that breeds things like uh, our Oregon House Speaker, uh, Tina Kotek, is proposing all these um, restrictions on landlords about raising rents or uh, being able to evict people so they can refurbish apartments and all that, no fault evictions. Um, it's insane because that then just makes folks not want to own and develop new rental properties because they're gonna take profit out of the situation uh, and try and put uh, controls on the free market and, and the whole point is, if there weren't all these controls on availability of land, um, and you know, they, if they bring in restrictions on on like um, rental price controls, it's going to kill any new housing being built. And all it's going to do is drive up um, the the price of existing housing where it's able to, and restrict the supply to the point where there's nothing available. You'll get people that are staying in horrible, awful apartments because they've had their rent frozen like they did in New York City for a while when they had rent control in New York City, where people, you know, stayed in, in bad living conditions because they just happened, you know, as long as they stayed there, they were under the rent control. And if they changed apartments and it turned over, it would, you know, they would have to be on the market uh, for rent. Uh, which allowed for huge abuses actually by landlords in some ways because they knew that their tenants weren't wouldn't move out no matter how poorly they maintain their their rental units. Um, so it's just uh, 
an interesting story that that you know as I as I looked at that story about that that, that poor single mom uh, that got you know run out of her living situation. The reason she was in that living situation was probably because she couldn't afford anything in the the Florence area because it's a resort area drives up re- real estate costs and our our Oregon land use laws and their UGBs have driven up uh, artificially constrained the the supply of housing so that it you know the supply is not meeting the demand there's less than three months worth of housing supply in in uh, Lane County. Six months is the tipping point generally between a buyer's market and a seller's market. And generally it might move a month or two either direction, you know, into a seller's or a buyer's market. But we're at three, less than three months, about two and a half months of supply out there for uh, housing that's for sale. That is a huge seller's market. Um, so if you're, you know, think places are, you know, getting multiple offers, there's bidding wars going on for places. And that just makes, um, you know, the rents, you know, when the prices go up for a duplex, you know, that's having bidding wars on it, the rents for that duplex go up and people can't afford it. So what they end up living in a small trailer in an RV park with their child, um, and it's just uh it's kind of uh very short sighted by um some of these uh jurisdictions when it comes to envision Eugene and all that. So I just got a note from my producer Robin has a question. I wonder if it's about Envision Eugene or some other topic. Robin, what what's on your mind? I wonder if you might don't mind getting into a little bit of national politics for a moment. No, uh, not at all. Just want to get your your uh, prospect on what's been going on between the division between the uh, Democrats and Republicans, and how the uh, I mean, not getting different parties overall about how they're fighting every movement, how they feel about the uh, uh, the sanctions or or the security of the country. Yeah, you're breaking up just a little bit, Robin. But if I kind of understood the question was about, you know, my kind of opinion about the the kind of division between the Republican and Democrats now and, and at the national level and the animosity there and some of the issues around security. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an interesting topic. You know, it's it's something that seems to have been fanned for a long time. Um, and you know, it, it's, it, I would, it, it's gone, I can say this probably started back um, somewhere in the 90s, where there was this attempt um, by the Democrat Party to uh, demonize Republicans uh, based on there was some particular segment of the population they were going to harm. And what they did was they started trying to divide America up into these various segments of the population. You know, if you were um, black, the Republicans were trying to hurt you um, with this particular piece of legislation, or if you were gay, or if, you know, you were, um, uh, you know, Hispanic, if you were a female, you know, it was, it was always about grouping people together 
in some demographic of the population and claiming that 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 the other party was going to be hurting that group and it was a, a way of uh, the party trying to uh, take control of, of, of you know the power from you know that Republicans were holding at that time uh, and it was a divisive set of, of a political strategy because basically it said you know you need to identify as a member of a group. And as soon as you start doing that, you're dividing people as it is. And um, this, you know, whatever policy it was, it was going to impact minorities and women and whoever in a bad way. Uh, and it was about trying to get people identified in groups. And really, it's a horrible thing because it, it's, I, I, you know, I don't think anyone in a, just because they have a skin color or a sexual preference or whatever their gender is, um, that you can say all of those people that have that similar trait are all alike and have the same interests or will be impacted equally by something. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's already a bad thing just to try and um, put people in those groups uh, and, and not think of them as individuals. Uh, but it was a, a very clear strategy and developed an animosity uh, already starting and a divisiveness where we're, where we're going to divide everybody up into groups and it's going to be about, um, you know, what might harm your group and, and, you know, building coalitions here and there where something might harm these two groups together or those two groups together. Um, and it was a strategy that started a long time ago and ultimately has led to uh, what we're seeing today where um, there is such a, a um, uh, wanting to pull away into, into these factions and it, it's, you know, all about this group and, and that group and, and how something might harm that group instead of, you know, all right, we're all individuals and what's the best for, for everybody and all that. And it leads, and it's led to some pretty divisive politics where people aren't listening to each other um, and not looking for common ground. And they're, they're, you know, I would not think that, all of my friends that are Democrats would have been those folks that were rioting in Berkeley last week. That's not them. And they're not the ones maybe that were part of the Occupy Wall Street movement. You know, I don't think of every Democrat as the same. They, there's a wide spectrum of them. Uh, and there are many things that my Democrat friends, and I've got quite a few of them because this state's dominated by the Democrat Party, um, that there's things we can agree on that won't violate my core principles that we can work together on. And in fact, you know, I, you know, I got a lot of trouble with some folks that are Second Amendment supporters because Val Hoyle and I have gotten to be pretty good friends, and she's an effective legislator on lots of issues that I can share common values and cause on that don't violate my principles, even though we diametrically disagree with each other on the Second Amendment. Um, 
and that that you know not looking at people and saying you know all democrats are berkeley rioters and occupy wall street folks and i just don't like any of them i'm going to unfriend all my democrat friends on facebook and i'm not going to listen to them and and not going to look for any places i can agree with them that's a horrible place to be and on the other side democrats are looking at republicans and thinking they're all breitbart um racist you know uh, you know, haters that, you know, and that's, that's all Republicans and there's nothing they'll ever have in common with them. And if you voted for Donald Trump, you must agree with him that it's okay to grab women by the, the beep beep and, uh, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> that that's not why people voted for Donald Trump. And it's not, you know, people didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because they think it's okay to sell influence in the state department, you know, People voted for Donald Trump because they thought he'd do the best thing for the country in their minds. People voted for Hillary Clinton because they thought she was going to be better for the country in their minds. And it wasn't because they, they agree with the worst parts of those, those individuals. And think of it that way, that people are what they are because it's what they feel is best for the country. And it's not a bad thing, you know, except that they have some desire that this is a good thing first and then maybe we can start coming together in a little bit more unity in this country but you know i had a, a, a kind of a little bit of an argument with a friend of mine that i've known for quite a while where she was going to start unfriending people that voted for donald trump um based on the fact that that meant they must be you know think women are objects and all this stuff and agree with him and it's like no that's not why they they voted for him you know and, and uh you know it's just it, it's a bad thing for our country if we're going to start doing all this politics of division, where we're going to separate ourselves into groups and judge those groups by the worst aspects of the small minority of that group. Where, you know, if you're thinking all Democrats are Occupy Wall Street and you're thinking all Republicans are Breitbart, alt-right racist, that's really you know, not the way to judge either group. And you shouldn't be looking at it as a group anyway, because everyone that's a member of that group is an individual and may wildly vary from what the party's platform is on any issue. Um, you know, I may have an R behind my name as a voter, as a registered voter, but I can guarantee you there are places where I wildly vary from the Republican Party's standard platform because I, I have a basic libertarian philosophy and there's a lot of places where I just don't want to legislate morality, you know, and, and, and people have a right to be stupid once they're a full-fledged adult. Uh, so, you know, judging me as, you know, paint me in a box Republican, um, what doesn't work very well. Um, and I think one of the places in, in this country you know, in national politics is we've gotten to the point where that's where we're going. Um, and that's been the modus operandi for so long. Um, and it began with the Democrat Party and the Republicans have been guilty of it, too, of, of this politics of division. Here's a group. I'm going to tell you the other guys are going to hurt, the, hurt your group. So you better support me instead. You know, and that is a, a way of dividing people, you know, you, you hear it even here in Oregon, the whole 
the whole division about um, Portland versus the rest of the state. Um, how, you know, rural Oregon's being ignored by the Democrat Party. Even that, saying that as Republicans, as may be true, but you're already promoting division. You know, because you're already saying there is a division between rural, or, you know, that there's some homogeneous rural Oregon <laughs> that's being hurt by some homogeneous, the urban Oregon. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, you know, kind of a silly thing to do when you think about, you know, there may be people that are retired out in the rural Oregon that spent their entire lives as city dwellers. And there may be people living in the city that grew up on huge ranches out in Eastern Oregon. You know, it's kind of, you know, you know we need to, to kind of stop and back away. And this, you know, this is similar to my, my discussion of the whole issue of sanctuary and immigration. If we could back away for a little bit and just calm, you know, calm ourselves down, take, you know, do our little yoga, take some deep cleansing breaths, not assume people's motivations. You know, assume, and if we are going to assume their motivations, assume that they have good motivations. Assume they're doing things. Yeah, assume they're doing things on the basis of you know what they feel is right and best. Um, you know, even if you might disagree that it's you know whether the, what they want to do is unconstitutional or won't work in the long run argue about the issues with them and, and policy, um, you know, about why it won't work or whether it will work and what's best and all that. Don't immediately assume they're bad people and that they, you know, because they're a member of a group or something like that. Uh, it's just, it, it's been a, you know, a tough road for our country. And I think, you know, this past election just has, brought it to even a bigger boil and the post-election has, has been even worse. Um, and, and it continues to some ways. And sometimes I cringe because, um, you know, Donald Trump uh, does, you know, a lot of his tweets are divisive in that they put people in a group. He'll tweet about some, some group, like it's, like it's a homogeneous group. Um, and, the, the response back from, you know, the Democrats or whoever does the same thing. It's, it's just this, and it's just becoming, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think it's going to take discipline of individual people to step back and start looking for what are, what's some common ground we might be able to both work on. You know, one of the things that's now got, you know, that had us scared and, you know, Republicans scared in 2008 that has Democrats scared in 2016 and now 2017, I should say we were scared in 2009, is executive orders and the power of the presidency and, and doing things that are extra constitutional, like passing uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, under reconciliation when it should have been emanated from the House because it contained a tax um, you know, there are all sorts of things that were being done against the Constitution in 2009, but now the Democrats are worried about 2017. Can we all agree that we need to get back to following what the Constitution says and limit the powers of the federal government in a lot of ways? You know, because 
if you don't agree to that, if it's okay for your guy to be doing it, like it was okay for the Democrats when Obama was doing it and, and Nancy Pelosi was and Harry Reid were doing it in 2009, it shouldn't, and, and we didn't think it was okay as Republicans, now that it seems like Republicans might be doing it, it shouldn't be okay to us Republicans. We shouldn't excuse them if they are going beyond the Constitution. We should find common cause with Democrats on that and say, you know what, you're right. We were afraid when Obama was doing it in 2009. We're afraid if if Trump starts crossing that line, we'll be there with you and say, you know what, we have a constitution for a reason. It has checks and balances in it. It has separation of powers. It limits the powers of the federal government. You know, actually, if you get into the constitution, it actually only grants certain limited powers to our federal government. It does not grant unlimited power to it. It reserves those powers to the states and the people. Um, if you go back and look at, at, at the actual construction of the document. So, in fact, it's kind of interesting because I'm reading um, a book right now on Alexander Hamilton, and I'm to the stage where he's in the, just towards the end of writing the Federalist Papers um, with, with James Madison, which I don't think some people realize that Hamilton and Madison work together on the Federalist Papers, and there's the, the, the two sides of um, what was then the Democrats and Republicans worked together to convince the country to ratify our Constitution. We should be looking at the Democrats right now and saying, you know what, just like Madison and Hamilton understood for the greater good of our country, we need to convince people to scrap the Articles of Confederation as a failed experiment and adopt this new constitution, we should be looking at the Democrats today going, you know what? We need to be Hamilton and Madison and rise above this and say, we need to, to be promoting limits and, and correct use of the powers of our federal government. And, and uh, I, you know, Right now, uh, I can't point to something specific, um, but if there is a concern, we should take it seriously. And, and just as we wished we had been taken seriously about how that we felt that the Affordable Care Act was actually passed in an unconstitutional manner, um, and that some of the executive orders by President Obama, like setting aside national monuments, weren't constitutional, um, we we should uh, be holding the same standards to now that the Republicans are in, in power. And we should be looking across the aisle to Democrats and saying, you know what, we understand how you felt, how you're feeling today, because that's how we felt back in 2009. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll extend the olive branch to you on this particular issue, because I think we can all agree now that the Constitution means something and is useful as a document and needs to be followed and has checks and balances for a reason. And we should all agree on that because we won't be in control maybe in four years or two years even. Uh, you know, you never, things change. And if we're going to agree to abuses and, and stretching of that, that document, for our side, then we shouldn't complain when the other side does it. So long answer to a short question, Robin. 
No, Sorry about that, but you got me going on something. That's okay. It was a good answer. But, you know, I, I don't know if other people see that, but it just, um, I, I've watched over the years this divisiveness, and it, it even gets into our culture in some ways. Um, I go back to, you know, I was in an office, office environment. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, um, one of the most hilarious takeoffs on office environments I've ever seen, but working for a fairly large engineering firm right about the time Seinfeld got popular on TV. And I've watched as the office environment completely changed as the younger employees in our office began to mimic the characters in Seinfeld in that humor became all about cutting people down and, and tearing people down. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, you know, the same humor that I was used to. And I think from that Seinfeld age on, it's gotten to be kind of a, um, a, a, a less um, welcoming society in a lot of ways because, you know, what's funny today is, is usually about tearing somebody down or tearing some group of people down. Uh, watch, a, watch a stand-up comic today versus a stand-up comic uh, routine from maybe the 70s or something like that. You know, George Carlin, you know, wasn't necessarily cutting people down. You know, the, the the seven dirty words really didn't cut anybody but it down, you know, but you watch some of these comics today and it's, you know, tearing, tearing people to shreds a, a lot of times. And it's just uh, really, um, you know, I, I watch, you know, the combination of the Seinfeld generation mixed with the politics of division. I think has generated what we're seeing today. Exactly, just like Friday Night Live used to be funny now. It's politics. I'm sorry, Robin. I, you're breaking up for some reason. Yeah, too much at the back. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's a, it's inter- it's an interesting thing. It'll be interesting to see if because um, I'm hoping they can. I'm kind of hoping that here in Lane County, um, that we can move beyond it. Uh, I think we have a tradition in Oregon of working in bipartisan ways and looking for places we can agree with the other side and not violate our core principles. Um, You know, I'm not going to help some Democrat put in place something that's inherently socialist because capitalism is one of my core principles. You know, I will work with them on something that, you know, is going to help in an economic revitalization of a community um, because it helps the citizens. Uh, You know, it's, we need to to start in Lane County and all over this country, look for where we share common cause and, and, and work together to improve everything and not assume the other person has ulterior motives or evil motives that they, they they might disagree with you because not because they're bad but because they think that that is actually what's best and, and truly believe it and explore that with them and try and convince them your side your your policy is better so i hope you enjoyed the both next week with another show been great to talk to you here from downtown Elmira, Oregon. Good night from the Bozno Show. Have a great evening.